Wisconsin's military voters would be subject to new voter ID requirements under a proposal circulating in the Wisconsin State Legislature. It's Wednesday, June 7th. This is Wisconsin Today. Good morning. I'm Alex Crow. Coming up, Corinne Hess reports on a controversy over a possible public library closure in Menominee Falls. And Danielle Kading has an update on the ongoing bird flu outbreak. Stay with us. Our world gets more complex all the time. You rely on WPR to turn complicated issues and the news of the day into understandable language. This essential service that you count on relies on your support. It's the largest source of our funding. If you've never given before, make a contribution now of, say, $10 a month at 888-202-2552 or WPR.org. Military voters would be subject to new voter ID requirements under a proposal passing through the state legislature. As Anya Van Wagtendonk reports, the bill creates a new electronic ballot return process that has some cybersecurity experts concerned. Authors of the bill say they aim to hold military voters to the same voter ID requirements as other Wisconsin residents. Under the proposal, military voters would provide their Federal Department of Defense number, which would be verified by a municipal clerk. The bill would also allow military voters to return their ballot through an electronic system. That concerns C.J. Coles, a senior policy associate with Verified Voting, which advocates for responsible technology use in elections. Our voters deserve uh, to know that their votes were counted as cast, and they deserve to trust the results as reported. Introducing electronic return into elections sows distrust. Supporters say returning ballots electronically could expedite returns from military members stationed far overseas. Anya Van Wagtendonk, Wisconsin Public Radio. Wisconsin could nearly double the number of public electric vehicle charging stations around the state with an infusion of federal dollars, but an outdated state law stands in the way. Wisconsin is set to receive $78 million from the federal government. That covers around 80% of the cost of building roughly 60 charging stations. But those stations are required to charge customers by the amount of electricity used. Customers are currently charged based on how long they use the station for. To meet federal requirements, stations would be regulated as utilities under Wisconsin law. Rebecca Volk is with the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin. It would be extraordinarily burdensome for an EV charging company to be regulated as a public utility. A bill to exempt charging stations from being treated as utilities failed to pass last year. State Senator Rob Coles told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel he expects another proposal to be introduced this year. A state avian ecologist says a highly contagious bird flu that hit Wisconsin last year may have been the most deadly outbreak ever for wild birds in the Midwest. As Danielle Kading reports, the virus killed almost two-thirds of the state's population of Caspian terns. 
The white gull-sized tern with a black cap and coral red bill is a state-endangered bird. It's only found at three sites in Wisconsin, including two islands off the Door County Peninsula. State avian ecologist Sumner Madison says 64 percent of Wisconsin's roughly 1,900 Caspian terns died from the virus last year. He says it was a devastating sight. Seeing not only the dead birds, you know, white lions basically on the uh, gravel and cobble beaches, but to see the scores of dying birds that you could do absolutely nothing about. Madison says the good news is they found no sign of sick or dead birds so far this year. A survey of Gravel Island found 129 nests. He says it will likely take years, if not decades, for the state's population to recover. Daniel Kading, Wisconsin Public Radio. Dozens of Menominee Falls residents pleaded with village board members yesterday not to close their public library. Corinne Hess reports they were responding to comments from a trustee. Trustees denied the Menominee Falls Public Library is in danger, but a citizens group learned through an open records request that trustees discussed a possible closure. According to those records, trustee Brad Juber said residents had enough money to buy their own books. Ann Matthews was one of many residents to speak out against Juber's comment and possible cuts to library funding. How dare you? How dare this board? How dare this board presume to have the right to dictate how your constituents spend their money when we're the ones that elected you, the ones who you're supposed to be serving? Juber told residents his comment was taken out of context. Corrine Hess, Wisconsin Public Radio. Coming up, we've got a piece from Wisconsin Life about how one Milwaukee neighborhood has changed over the years. Stay with us. You know you can count on WPR for news that's important, music that makes your day better, and conversations that make you think. We hope you'll make a financial contribution to support the radio service you rely on, and in fact, we count on it. The single largest portion of our budget comes from listener support. If you're not a member yet, make a gift of any amount today at WPR.org. Thank you. And finally, it's time for Wisconsin Life. Here's producer Maureen McCullum with a story about an evolving city. Cities inevitably change through the decades. People move in and out. Businesses come and go. Oftentimes, these shifts are the most obvious in your own neighborhood. Author and historian John Goethe has been reflecting on changes surrounding his childhood home in Milwaukee. He talks about how waves of immigration continue adding to the rich history of this beloved neighborhood. I have decided what I want to be when I retire, not a teller of cautionary tales to the young, not an ache by a chronicler of my ongoing deterioration, and not, heaven forbid, a golfer. What I want to be is something much simpler, an old guy on a bike who rides around looking at things. I might stop once in a while to buy a donut, raise a glass of beer, or fall into casual conversation, but I'll mainly be a witness to change content to observe the passing scene and enjoy what poet Wallace Stevens called the pleasures of merely circulating. I had a foretaste of that experience on a recent two-wheel tour of my first neighborhood. Until I was eight years old, my family lived in Layton Park on the southern edge of Milwaukee's Old South Side. The reason we lived there was generational. My Polish grandparents, John and Mary Goethe, ran a hardware store in the heart of the neighborhood at 32nd and Lincoln from 1915 to 1965. And my father, Art, was the oldest of four kids raised behind the store. 
When he and my mother, Claire, a farm girl from western Wisconsin, settled in Milwaukee after World War II, it was entirely natural for them to build a little house on South 34th Street, only eight blocks from the hardware store, and start a family of their own. The Leighton Park of our Goethe's youth had been decidedly mixed. The residents were almost entirely white, but mixed in those days usually had a European connotation. Germans and Poles were almost evenly matched in the neighborhood. Some transplanted from the old country, and others born here but still speaking their ancestral tongues. Any business person who hoped to prosper had to have a working knowledge of both languages, and my grandparents were no exception. Fast forward 60 years. My wife Sonia and I lived in Leighton Park during the first years of our marriage, just two blocks from the used car lot that had replaced Gerda Hardware. The neighborhood was still largely German and Polish, but what a change was on the horizon. In 1980, soon after we left for Bayview, Latino Milwaukeeans made up less than 3% of Central Leighton Park's population. By 2010, the number had soared to 73%, and it continues to grow. The changes go well beyond statistics. Sunday Mass at my grandparents' old church, St. Barbara's, is now said in Spanish. Leighton Park Lutheran is now Templo Adventista del Septimo Dia, a Seventh-day Adventist congregation. Tebow and Johnson Funeral Home, where roughly half my relatives made their last public appearances, has become Iglesia Cristiana Palabra de Vida, Word of Life Christian Church. Taverns where my grandfather once bent an elbow now play Spanish corridos on the jukebox, and the occasional Mexican flag waves from the front porch of a bungalow that might have been built with nails from Gerda Hardware. Changing neighborhoods provide a wealth of material for meditations on impermanence, but they also underline a fundamental truth about urban life. Everything is in motion. Neighborhoods are like vessels, like shells, built by one group and inhabited by a succession of others. Each group makes its own memories and then moves on. As pop singer Jules succinctly put it, everything's temporary if you give it enough time. John Goethe is a Milwaukee-born writer and historian. He's written 23 books on the history of the city. His most recent one is Brewtown Tales, more stories from Milwaukee and beyond. Wisconsin Life is a co-production of Wisconsin Public Radio and PBS Wisconsin in partnership with Wisconsin Humanities. Additional support comes from Lowell and Mary Peterson of Appleton. Want to make sure you catch every Wisconsin Life story? Subscribe to our podcast and find more Wisconsin Life at wisconsinlife.org and on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Maureen McCollum. And that'll do it. Thanks for joining us for Wisconsin Today. I'm your host, Alex Crow. Our producers are John Davis and Bridget Bowden. You can always catch us wherever you get your podcasts every single weekday morning. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.